0: This is Jonas Wells and you're listening to The Liberty Way Podcast.
1: What a roller coaster of a first meeting you and I had. That was uh you got to witness every stage of elation and grief that I think I'm capable of in, in probably the first 3 hours of hanging out.
0: Yeah, no, it was uh it was definitely a whirlwind of a first time together. Um but a great experience, obviously, um, I think the content that came from it was happily surprising for both of us so yes, was it good.
1: was yeah, we got a story to tell about that one. You surely had no idea what you were getting into when you responded to an open call for a uh, for a local host because because our current hosts are kind of out of town, uh, but you were exactly the man for the job i I guess I knew you from your live show I had seen and Uh, You had heard our podcast, so we kind of we had some level of familiarity, but we definitely hit it off. You were definitely um, qualified, uh, as anyone could be, to speak to such a notorious guest as we had.
0: Well, I appreciate Um, that. I don't I don't necessarily know if uh, I think he would say that you don't necessarily have to be qualified to be able to get into these conversations. But I was at least, you know, willing to read a book for it. So that that I guess is something.
1: He's not a pretentious guy at all. That's the great
0: no. thing. He, you yep. know, he,
1: he doesn't discriminate. Uh, and I think he would have talked to anyone exactly the same way. So I was I glad would, to be I would hosting totally agree with someone with who that. could keep up.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: So first, some context slash updates, uh, especially for new listeners. So the Liberty Way podcast is a small podcast, and it's based out of, uh, though not officially affiliated with Liberty University. Uh, it's not a podcast about Liberty. It's not even about college. Liberty is where we happen to be, and that gives us a lot of common reference points and generally enough commonalities that the theme sort of evolves on its own. Um, but we as a podcast are not attached to the missions of the university in any way. Generally, when when Liberty is in the news, we are not talking about it. We're far from it. Uh, we're focused on representing the real people who live and work here. Um, But also, lately, we've been kind of in an experimental phase where now I'm trying to add more outside voices to the mix, uh, guests who I think our listeners will be uniquely interested in. Um, And I think Liberty students have shown a special interest in in guests for our biweekly convo who challenge their own viewpoints. So I kind of wanted to do the same by reaching Beyond Liberty to bring our listeners a, a diverse series of guests that I think they'll enjoy. So... I had the opportunity to start with someone who I have personally been a huge fan of for quite a while. Um, Actually, over a year ago, I posted a list of my top 20 favorite podcast episodes ever by anyone. And one of this guy's appearances on the Joe Rogan experience, one of his appearances on the biggest podcast in the world, I believe, was on that list. And by some miracle, I got him on this podcast podcast. Uh, Now, to be clear, I don't mean that I landed him by some kind of clout that we have in the podcast game. We did absolutely nothing to deserve this. I am nobody. I'm literally the janitor here. But uh, Peter Boghossian seemed like an approachable guest because, as I said, he is not at all pretentious in spite of his incredible accolades. And he is a sincere, charitable kind of person. So he did this out of the kindness of his heart. He is notably a philosopher, and author, uh, a big voice among American atheists, and an international speaker for the Richard Dawkins Foundation for Reason and Science. Also, notably, one of the genius minds behind the Grievance Studies Affair, which we will certainly get into. Yeah, and
0: we didn't even talk about that nearly as much as I think we could have,
1: Um,
0: but I think that is definitely what listeners would know him from the most
1: yeah because that was actually the the theme of the podcast that I had put on my list where he and James Lindsay one of the co-authors of the study along with Helen Pluckrose talked about the grievance studies and there's yeah there's certainly a lot of questions we could have asked there I don't know if our angle would have been especially unique you know if we would have been able to to interact with with that topic on a level much different from uh, from what he's been asked before but There's that's certainly something I think Liberty students would be fascinated with. And some of his comments on it were were very uh, insightful. So I do want to get into that. Absolutely. Yep. But let me uh, let me just sort of recap what happened one week ago on April Fool's Day, making the story that I'm about to tell uh, even more unbelievable at the time. I I have to say, I'm still not sure that some of my friends believe that this happened. uh, I I sort of nonchalantly mentioned it.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I was there. It happened. All of it. All of it that he is about to say um, is 100 percent accurate and the truth. So um, you at least have one witness. Yeah.
1: So so it it was already surreal that we're talking to Peter Pogosian. Then we have an amazing conversation. We're getting to the point where where it's just building up to like we're ready to start fist pumping like like we've done it right. Uh, It's nearly perfect. Everything uh, that
0: we could have dreamed and honestly more.
1: I, I believe so. Yeah. And there, there was a very distinct more towards the end, which I think we should we should mention later on. Uh, but as paranoid Matt was afraid of, uh, we had our one in a thousand technical glitch with the one in a thousand guest. And uh, we still don't know for sure why that happened. We have reason to believe it was truly a technical glitch. Uh but point is we were left with no usable audio as far as releasing a podcast goes. Um, so Jonas, that is when you got to witness the PTSD version of Matt, briefly. Uh, uh,
0: but I don't think it was I don't think it was PTSD at that point, because it was very much in the moment stress. Um, there was sure. no post-traumatic stress. Present in. present traumatic exactly. stress. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent So uh And but I, alas, I will yes. say right rightfully so. Like there was Every reason to believe that this was going to be one of, if not the best show yet that you you guys have produced, and yeah, yeah, it was an incredible guest. Um, you were completely on with all of your questions and the thinking and all of everything that you could have hoped for in an interview was there, and then everything broke down. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, yeah, I,
1: I I do agree, and but also I think part of my sentiment was just feeling so bad about having let down someone that gave me their time so generously. And, and like, we're leaving it on an excellent note. And then I have to say, hey, sorry about this. You know, we're, we're still lucky to have had this conversation, but no one's going to hear it. Absolutely. That hurt. That yep. hurt. Um, but we are not here for a pity party. We are here because we now have not only proof that this actually happened, but redemption. Uh, turns out that Paranoid Matt, was running a background mic for pretty much no reason at all. And uh, it turns out that by turning that audio up to 100, I was able to make out the very muffled audio that was leaking out through my very loose headphones just enough to fully transcribe this podcast. So that's what we're now calling it. This is a transcribed podcast, uh, basically a magazine style interview piece. And I've gotta say like the times that I've thought about transcribing conversation before it really wouldn't have worked. Most podcasts do not transcribe well. This one did. It was just it was calculated enough. It was every word was so deliberate that uh, that I, I saw this as a possibility. We got it approved, hyperlinked, illustrated by my little brother, and um, so yeah. Now we have a written interview that is going to be on blesscherry.com and thelibertyway.net. So. I, I, I feel like it's full redemption, if yeah. not if not better than the audio
0: version we would have had. I mean, it. anyone who could ever search for an article – I mean, it's hard to search for podcasts, right? Like, you listen to it, and it hits you, and you are able to digest it in some level, but by having it fully transcribed, it's going to live for a lot longer. So I, I really do think this is the best of all worlds.
1: Yeah, and I think if if this does get uh, positive feedback, maybe we do more of these in the future. In fact, I wouldn't be opposed to starting a full-on Liberty Way, Bless Jerry magazine, if anybody's anybody's into that idea. Uh, I've been in the magazine
0: game since I was a a wee lad, so, you know. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) the experience is definitely there. Like, you can tell, the arts, the links, everything looks very professionally done. So, if you are even thinking about going and clicking on it and looking at it and reading through everything definitely do. So even just for some of the artwork and the graphics, I mean, they're, they're all there. Yep. That is, that is my, uh,
1: kids magazine experience coming back into play. Uh, I, I would like to say that kids magazine was not one of the publications that ever fell for one of, uh, Bogosian's hoax articles. That's we good. definitely, definitely escaped that. I think, I think, if I recall, he may have submitted uh, some, some modified version of Mein Kampf in which he replaced uh, references to Jews with uh, Megablocks, the far inferior Lego imitation. Uh, but, you know, I saw right through that and, uh, and did not publish. So kept, kept my peer-reviewed status.
0: There you go. <laughs> All of the credit to you and you alone.
1: Thank you. And in case anyone is horribly confused right now, That is a reference to Peter Boghossian's Grievance Studies Affair, which we mentioned previously, which is a series of hoax articles on on basically social justice-related topics, which he calls the Grievance Studies in academia, which he submitted to peer-reviewed journals, the highest standard in scholarship, and at least a third of them. And these were actually like things like I said, like parodies of mind Kampf replaced with different buzzwords were in some cases accepted and integrated into peer reviewed scholarship. So, I mean, I want to put that right at the front because we, we got to that at the end of our of our conversation. But that is to me, that's the that's the tagline of Peter Boghossian.
0: And the entire point of that is to show that a parody journal article in the realm of grievance studies, it reads exactly the same as real articles in grievance studies. And how could that ever be the case in a manner, uh, a realm like academia that has such a high standard of uh, rigor and peer reviewed studies like there should be no reason that that should pass. But for whatever reason, in today's society, it does.
1: Yeah. And when something is peer reviewed, like at that point, that can be cited in research. Like that's effectively what we call science. Right. You know, this is no joke. This is not something you you do as a nicety, you know, to to grant someone that status. So it's a it's a seriously important expose for which he was, um, as he said, excoriated, like even his own university that he worked at uh, tried to kind of cover their own butts and say, hey, this wasn't an authorized project. We don't necessarily stand by this. And when he when he told about the response that even some of his own friends had to that, I mean, that's that's one of the few parts where I felt I I wish you could you could still hear the audio because just how how deeply that affected him and and understandably so.
0: Yeah, the pain in his voice was just evident. And the fact that, like, he did not expect his friends to turn on him. He didn't realize at the time that there was an undergirding of values um, that he was going to attack more or less. Um, and it wasn't just a friendship based off of friendships. It was a friendship based off of, uh, shared beliefs and values that he it, yeah, it evidently didn't hold to. Absolutely. Right. Yep. Right.
1: So Jonas, if we, if we were to go through the hits and highlights of this conversation, what do you feel like is kind of one of the standout themes that, uh, that, that we could elaborate on some more for our
0: listeners? So based off of the entirety of the conversation and the entirety of the book that kind of was the stimulus of this entire interview, um, the topic of epistemology uh carried out kind of throughout the entirety of it because it's it's how uh Dr. bogosian Peter it's how he builds the entirety of his worldview and I mean everything that he teaches in philosophy and his atheism like that is the root of all of his beliefs.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's his his beliefs about belief. Uh, yeah. he's n- he's not afraid exactly. to to get into the details there and even to quantify it. He yeah. talks about a uh, different scales that he uses, but I was actually surprised at some points and and maybe enlightened a bit to how he was thinking when he explained uh, how he would rank his confidence in different beliefs he actually one thing that he that he added when he was kind of uh, having the final say on on the document he he clarified for me that that his his view of agnosticism is that on the 1 to 10 belief scale with 1 being absolute disbelief and 10 being absolute belief agnosticism is a 5 whereas my definition would have been you can't put it on a scale and interesting if he views personal certainty as basically a measure of, is this uh, confirmable, which of course remains subjective, then it does make sense that the middle ground would be five and unshakably a five. Yeah. Even though, you know, when he asked me, he asked me if I, uh, if I'm agnostic toward the Easter bunny, I said technically yes, but I'm barely going to even go up to a two, you know, I would barely dignify that. Uh, so th- he he clarified that that was not how he was defining agnosticism. Where to me it's it's sort of a philosophical thing. In fact, I might be less inclined to say that that I absolutely believe in anything than even he is. I think he gave me more credit for sharing a belief in absolute
0: uh, either morality or facts uh, than than I deserve. Yeah, I think he but, rated his belief or disbelief in God at a like 9.8 because yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a one yeah. Dawkins one to
1: seven scale yeah, yeah I think okay, yeah 6.99.
0: yeah 6.99. Yep. so yeah so which the, is interesting to me because my question and we didn't get into it because there was a lot better stuff to get into with him at the time was can you actually prove that negative at any point like is 6.99 a little bit too much on that scale because how can you prove something to not be there indefinitely right. when you could never know
1: yeah, and that was why I, I was glad that we got into the theme of presuppositionalism because I, I'm yeah. certainly not not accusing him of any inconsistency, uh, as much as just to say that to me, it, it as I implied with one of my questions, it is impossible to escape uh, presupposing your own notion of reality to some extent. Sure. Yep. Um. So, you know, for example, when when I when I first, I think, even breached the topic of agnosticism, uh, that was, you know, I, it wasn't it wasn't smooth at all. But it was it was an answer to the point blank question, "Are you a Christian?" And I stumbled with that one the most because it's one of the things I've thought about the most. Uh, so let me actually jump to that. I I said uh, I consider myself a Christian because I'm agnostic about most things, and. He was understandably confused by that answer, uh, and I think where I need to clarify is that the operative word there is consider, meaning I I think I can only say that I consider myself Christian. I don't think I can say whether I am or not because I can't place absolute certainty on my theories about what that means to be Christian. But, of course, he, not believing in a supernatural Christ, has already loaded that into the question. He understands that my belief claim or my assent is is— grounded in something that is unprovable. Um, So then we got around to actually breaking that down and uh,
0: and discussing it in terms of the Easter bunny. um, Can we take a step back real quick? Yeah, please. Yeah. Um, I think this entire conversation, especially for listeners of Liberty students and maybe a little bit beyond that, but I mean, that's a scary conversation to even start with, right? Like, is are you a Christian point blank with uh, a person who teaches an atheism course? How, and the way that he approached that entire conversation was so incredibly respectful and just breaking it down from, okay, why do you believe what you believe? What What is your basis upon that? And that's the whole theme of epistemology. It's the the manner in which you go about discovering why you believe what you believe. And I think the way he went about it and the way that this entire conversation went is so important, but it's so scary for so many people, which is why I think there's so much value to both the article, but also this conversation after the fact.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think I think a question that kind of ties in with that, that he asked, because he actually turned it, turns the table around a lot of times and asked us the questions. Yeah, um, he he said, so you know, playing off of of uh, I mentioned the the infinite stakes that come with religion and I was thinking more about the the idea of eternal life or death and, sure. and he said, but isn't that all the more reason to make sure that you're right? Yeah. but the the very nature of it is that the supernatural realm is something you can't make sure that you that you know. so you have to act on something that has Stakes even beyond this realm. If you're gonna, if you're gonna going to try to, let's say, place a wager on it, uh, and I think, I think what he's saying is the burden of proof is on your supernatural belief before you would allow that to amend the way that you conduct yourself. And I totally understand that, but that's why, for me, a, a sort of agnosticism about most things, as I said, is actually what liberates me. To place a wager on the supernatural. To say, since nothing is really concrete, provable in this life or about the next, um, I have to accept some things symbolically if I can determine that the only tenable posture
0: towards it is one of absolute unknowing. There's a reason that Christianity is faith and really any religion has some kind of faith element which is another thing that came up in the conversation about this whole new religion of intersectionality and there is there a faith element in that and then based upon that is there also a hope element and he kind of talked about how with this quote-unquote new religion of intersectionality they don't preach any kind of hope in their message it's all if you are of this belief if you are a, straight white male, you will always be a straight white male. You will always have the sins of straight white men upon you, and there's nothing you can do. There's no redemption factor to it. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting point for why he, even as an atheist, he will fully admit that he likes talking about these kind of things with people of faith more than the people of this quote-unquote new religion because they're willing to have that conversation and they understand what faith and hope and redemption is.
1: Yeah, I, I loved that he drew that analogy to the redemption narrative. Yeah, that was that was really cool. And I mean, he it, said it was,
0: point blank, there is no redemption narrative in this new religion.
1: Yeah, yeah. So th- that's an important term, I think, for people to pick up on early. Don't gloss over that. When he says the new religion, he is talking about this. I think it's fair to say leftist um absolutism, uh, where, whereby there's pre-existing rules that culturally were not exactly pre-existing, but some, someone has suddenly decided we're always there and can, cannot be disputed. And, and their, their closed-mindedness to conversation is kind of a telling factor in the, the nature of this thing, that it's, it's more of a battleground than a internal conviction, I think.
0: Right, right.
1: Back to the idea of uh, the nature of, of knowing, maybe to kind of shed some light on, on what I mean by the lack of concrete knowledge. Um, I just, because the Easter bunny was a, a reasonable one to work with, but I just, I wonder, you know, what you can glean from maybe looking at other examples. If he had asked me about Santa Claus, then you're, you're looking at something that comes down to the definition right? There was a historical character. This is based on It's a
0: complicated answer, right? Like there is something baked into the cake of whatever answer. Okay. What, what are you defining as Santa Claus, St. Nicholas? What does that look like modern day versus who are you asking? What is the audience and what is the basis of the conversation? What is the context built around that? Right. And, and everything is, is context. Even if you take a far more agreeable,
1: that it's concrete example, like how confident am I in the existence of George Washington, right? I think on his one to 10 scale, the, the proper answer would be 10. There are no viable theories that George Washington did not historically exist. But it, you know, insofar as it's actually a lived experience for me, I have no, no knowledge in that mental compartment that I call George Washington, except for people telling me about him in, in a certain nuanced way that I have formed in my brain a structure that says when, when people speak with this level of conviction and consistency and nuance, that is probably increasingly verifiable. Right. But that, that folder in my head called George Washington has undergone modifications. When I was a kid, I did not think it was possible that I would find out George Washington owned slaves and probably never literally cut down a cherry tree. So do I have an actual lived experience of George Washington? No, I've been to the house that he supposedly lived in. I believe that he did. I, I assent to that. And it would, as I said, tear down my structure of reality to a large extent if if, uh, if it was all retracted to a point of he did not exist at all. But my point in there being, like, even if you were close to a person, even if you're sharing the same room and the same sensations with someone, supposedly, you're never truly experiencing someone in something in exactly the same manner. And that often gets conflated. You know, the, the, the actual truth of lived experience gets conflated with one's narrative about lived experience. So if, if we're, you know, ostensibly taking in the same stimulus, but calling it two different things, it's pretty irrelevant what we're calling it. Uh, or not irrelevant to communication and to pragmatics, but that's not an actual truth as much as experience itself is. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes sense. It, I have a question for you kind of based off of that, though. Okay. Okay, so how do you feel about the phrase your truth?
1: If that's synonymous with your lived experience, truly, then, then it, that means something. But it, in most cases uh just a, on kind of an ideological level i expect that to mean uh your narrative
0: yeah i and i fully agree i i that is one of my most disdained phrases um currently because there is the truth and then there is your opinion or your experiences there's conflating the two um i think does a disservice to what is true and what is not uh, yeah, it's it's very non-committal. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Lest I be non-committal myself, I do want to say, you know, that that I hold a kind of a sacred place for what actual truth may be, which is that if in the natural sensory realm our experience is never truly one and the same, um, I'm sort of inherently banking on the possibility that there is an outside truth uh, that is somehow integral with God itself.
0: One might say an absolute truth.
1: An absolute truth. There you go. But the, yeah. then again, to try to put that in language is to um, to actually become more distant from that reality. It's the way that together we we access a shared sense of existence, which one might call love, which the Bible might call God. But that's a whole other thing. This brings back into play, though, uh, Boghossian's comment that certainly you would want to be uh, closer to the truth. You wouldn't want to be pushing further away from it by embracing a, a narrative that is something other than strictly correct. No, absolutely. Um, that's, that one's complicated for me because I, I, I think I could come up with examples, just simple ones, where um, demonstrably closer to the truth is not better. Tell me tell me what you think of this. if uh, if someone's about to cross the street, someone else tells them, "Don't do it. there's traffic everywhere. Uh, and really, there's only one car coming. The other person says, no, there's not. They step out on the street and they get hit. Uh, you know the the difference between there's lots of cars and there's one car, I guess to say there's none was in some sense closer. But the meaningful reality was there's a death machine that will kill you, doesn't, you know? Um, well,
0: and, and that brings up the fact, OK, is it more important to be closer to numerically accurate or is it more important to have the actual part that matters? The fact that there is a car where if you do step into the street, it will hit you. And
1: where does the symbolic truth fall on that right. scale?
0: Right. And I mean that you see that in a lot of modern circles in terms of. Okay, in order to get somebody's attention, you may have to exaggerate, you may have to bloviate a little bit more than is quote unquote true, but it gets the message across. And finding that line, I think it is a fine line that you have to walk depending on the situation. And it's very, like I say, situational.
1: What what stood out to you from How to Have Impossible Conversations? I mean, we both read that. We were both deeply impressed by it. And there's so many quotes and, and stuff that I wasn't even able to, to dig into, but I really do want to push the merit of this book. I mean, it was, it was so good. It was such a good kind of warm up to who we were
0: talking to. So practical and, and just full of wisdom. I think one of the big things is you have to start with the end in mind. So what do you want out of the conversation? Do you want to change somebody's opinion? Do you want to help both you and your conversation partner rationalize each of your individual beliefs, or do you just want to have a friendship with that person on some level, you have to make that call and you have to decide again, situationally, is this conversation going to ruin a relationship that I'm not willing to ruin? Um, Yes. And that that's an important place to start. And that's where he starts chapter one of the book is decide what you want out of the conversation.
1: That is, yeah, that is actually really good. It's hard to push past that point of um, being agreeable in terms of argument but still being a friendly voice in terms of uh, trying to reach the truth with somebody because a lot of people really, their attitude isn't one of trying to, trying to actually ascertain truth from a conversation. It's, It's really how they can kind of protect their brand which which I understand like that that is kind of the language of the young generation like of Gen Z right now they they and they have a great grasp on like subtext um but but in a way they sort of they sort of think in image almost like in meme and it's it's not really I think expected of each other that that they slash we, I think it includes younger millennials as well, would necessarily know how to explain ourselves on all topics. And, and so to be challenged on that comes across confrontationally. A lot of times I'll be talking to, to someone uh, who, you know, I just, I, I kind of assumed that, that they were on the same page as me in terms of wanting to be challenged, wanting to kind of have a, a trial by fat fire of their viewpoints. And then you realize like, no, they don't. I, I, I presumed that. Well, so and I um... think
0: that's also why he began the entire, like, offer of coming on different people's podcasts with, are you willing to, one, read a book, and two, have difficult conversations? You, like, by putting that out there, he is, again, starting with the end in mind of, okay, I want to have difficult conversations, but I need the other person to be willing to do the exact same thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and and he really did want us to to come at it with some original ideas. You know, I was I was ready to go down the trail of just flattering the book. He wasn't there for that. He's got better things to do. <laughs> Which is yeah. just awesome. And and I think I think knowing the person behind the book really makes the book more interesting. So just take our word for it. Read the book. You can get an Audible trial and hear it for free and or or just buy it. And here's one of the selling points of getting it via audiobook is it is read by the author, one of the authors. It's also co-authored by James Lindsay. But Peter Boghossian reads the book himself, which kind of ensures that it's read as it's meant to be heard.
0: And and you can get it done in less than a day. It's like an eight, nine-hour book.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't belabor any points. That is one of the beauties. Which was
0: great in our conversation, too, because he would extrapolate where he felt like we wanted him to. But then – He would also just hit a point very profoundly and then get to the next point, which I appreciated throughout the entire conversation. As did I. And again, he did that throughout the entirety of his book, too, is he would make a point. A lot of times with books, you see authors that know what they want to say, but they have to stretch to fit it into an entire book. And he wasn't doing that throughout, which I, again, appreciated a lot. Yeah.
1: Right. And, it, as I said, he is so deliberate with every word that you know, like we we got a lot out of an hour here. I mean, yeah. when he said he said it about his friend, uh, Faisal al- Mutar, you know, hanging out with that guy is like dog ears. An hour packs in seven hours worth of of conversation. and that was that was kind of what I felt with this is like when when you're when you're speaking to someone who is so self- aware and able to articulate their own consciousness, you, you know them vastly better in a short amount of time than you're accustomed to with people who get hung up on petty things. And so it really felt like getting to know somebody.
0: And more than anything, like my takeaway from the entire conversation, you can talk about the philosophical challenges that we talked about and you can talk about, okay, how do we actually have conversations with people? But like you say, talking with him, no matter what I may agree with or disagree with in terms of his personal beliefs, That was my takeaway was I want to be able to take information, be self-aware enough and self-reflective enough to be able to digest that information and then tell somebody else in a manner of seconds what I just spent the last five days thinking about. And you can tell with every topic that we discussed, he had spent years upon years thinking through it and working through it, and he still will fully admit he doesn't have all of the answers, but – This is the process that he goes through in order to come to the conclusions that he has right now and continues to go through every single day.
1: Well said. And of course, in the process of conveying all of that information, he drops a lot of little references to things which there would not be time to get hung up on. But he himself uh, went through and hyperlinked a lot of those references with really good links that everyone should check out as they're reading the article um, and drops a few names that also would be worth looking into further, um, some of them kind of surrounding the intellectual dark web with which you know, his, his, I'd say, circle of acquaintances is largely affiliated. You've got Sam Harris mentioned in there, uh, Rogan, Rubin. Um, uh, another name uh, that I would encourage people to check out, Jonathan Haidt. He wrote The Righteous Mind, which is another one that will sort of challenge your, your epistemology around faith. Um, and, uh, just several others, absolutely packed with, with, uh, references to, as as you said, just things he's picked up over the years, um, and, and knows just as second nature and is ready to spit it out. It's, it's a gift to just be on the receiving end of that. Absolutely. So should we talk about what he brought up towards the very end of the conversation beyond what we published, which left us on a, uh, very... Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you could say that. I mean, even even if this whole thing had been chalked up as a loss, which it's not, uh, we, still, we still left on a positive note. Um, yeah. And, and we were uh, apparently the first ones he had told. I, I reviewed the audio. I was like, did he just say we're he the, did. The, we're the first yep. ones he told this? Yep. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we should be vague about this and just say he had something in the works. He broke it to us. And it might be an in to have him on
0: again. Yeah, I mean, he said he will personally invite himself back on your show. So uh, that would be a thrill that whenever this project that he has in the works comes out, it sounds like you will uh, be getting some kind of message or call, which, again, even though this entire uh, endeavor has been stress-filled and labor-inducive, I think just that little inkling that there's a hope of a future relationship developing with him um, is exciting. Oh, yeah. That'd be pretty great.
1: What do you think... Do you think that Liberty students would be interested in in getting uh, Peter Boghossian as part of a convocation panel?
0: Absolutely. I think that's... I think that is why, um, at its best, Liberty is a place where you can come and debate beliefs. And yes, there are different parts of the school that people disagree with. Um, The school is attacked in the news regularly. Some of the students agree with those attacks. Some of them don't, but at its best, Liberty is a safe place to bring in different perspectives. It's not a place where the sort of grievance theory, people lose friends over that kind of thing, which is why at its best, I think, Liberty students would welcome him with open arms, just a different perspective. That's what I always hear in terms of speakers that Liberty gets and what students want from those speakers. They don't want to feel like they're in the quote unquote Liberty bubble all the time. They want the outside perspectives. And I think Peter Boghossian is able to give those different perspectives in a way that is tangible. You can do something with it, even if you don't agree with necessarily his end beliefs. Yeah.
1: We'd have to get someone on stage who can keep up. Maybe, maybe they need to invite me to join him on stage.
0: I mean, Uh, I think you, uh, you, you. I think they now have, you now have an in with him. So uh, that might be a request if, if we uh, have that opportunity at any point.
1: All right. So, so the students need to uh, submit their requests for Bogosian, to come to Convo. If this warms up anybody to, to the idea of a liberal atheist uh, coming to Convo, and, and this speaks to his, um, to his sincerity and openness, he, he mentions in the book his friendships with uh, a couple of our own previous guests, uh, our own meaning Liberty University's Convo guests, Dave Rubin, who everybody yep. loves, uh, Phil Vischer, who everybody who's ever watched VeggieTales loves, and uh, and there was others who uh, – he's I think he's friends the, with Jordan Peterson.
0: Yeah, I mean mentioned in the article, he talks about um, being on uh, Tucker and t- having discussions with oh, Joe yeah, Rowe, and he just name drops all of these huge movers and shakers on the right and in conservative circles that he is happily willing and appreciative to have conversations with.
1: Yeah, yeah, and he was, um, I think, genuinely – Pleased with with their reception of him, so yeah. yeah, that was that that was where I felt like we had we had really gotten gotten something something unique from this conversation, um, just how sincerely he spoke about that, about how Christians responded to the grievance studies, uh, and just getting into little things like Primer and Tiger King, you know, <laughs> that was yeah, it was a fun conversation. It really, and was. I I really hope that it'll be equally uh, gripping for people who who read this who were not initially part of it. Um, hey, it's all there. Everything you know. There's we didn't we really didn't cut much out. It's it's only moderately edited uh, to clarify little details. And uh, and as I said, Peter Bogosian had the final say on this, so he put his stamp of approval on it. And I am quite pleased with this. And uh, looking forward to continuing this series of kind of outside guests that we introduce to our liberty-based listeners.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to, I don't know, maybe have a little bit more to do with the podcast kind of moving forward. I think uh, this entire experiment with both Dr. Boghossian and whatever this is in terms of moving forward with outside guests, I think it's definitely going to be a success. And I'm happy to see, looking forward to seeing what comes out of it.
1: Yeah, man. Well, thanks again for stepping up to the plate on this one. I do have something uh, in mind to get you involved with in the very near future. So Anytime. for anyone who's anyone who's not following the Liberty Way podcast, this would be a good time to start, even if you have nothing to do with liberty, even if you dislike liberty, or maybe you think you do. Uh, we're trying to keep those nuanced conversations going. So this has been a good little wrap-up of— yeah. uh, the time a week ago when we got to talk to peter bogosian all right the libertyway.net blessjerry.com and i'm going to stop recording and hope i don't have another technical glitch thanks jonas